Join me in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 25 today. 9 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to begin today's teaching with, with a quote. And, and I want this quote to kind of set the stage, if you will, for what the Apostle Peter is going to teach us this morning. So allow this quote to kind of set the stage, again, for what he's going to instruct us with. And the, the quote is this. It comes from David Roper, who is the president or director of our Daily Bread Ministries. And he says this. He says, why do we lash out when we're mistreated? Why are we so quick to defend ourselves or to seek revenge? Is it not that we place too much value on our own comfort and rights? If so, we must pray, echoing the words of Augustine, heal me of this lust of mine to always vindicate myself. As my boys would say, bars. I don't even know what that means. But Luke, I was sharing this quote with Luke yesterday, and he's like, Dad, you've got to say bars after that. So it's Father's Day. There you go. I love you, son. Hopefully I didn't curse. Hopefully that wasn't like a trick into me cursing, which is my biggest fear. Seriously, total rabbit trail right here. But my biggest fear, one of them, is that I, all of a sudden I would stand up here and i just start like, Profanity would just come out. I'm serious. Like, anyway. But that's a pretty profound statement, is it not? Healess of this lust of mine to always want to vindicate myself. First Peter chapter 2, and let's just read verses 9 through 12 for now. Peter writes, he says, but you are a chosen Race. He's writing this to the church, to followers of Jesus. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which are waging war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And there he's referring to those who don't know Jesus. He says, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want you to share with the people next to you if you're hearing a dad, I want you to share. If your kids are here, I want you to share with your kids. What's the worst job you've ever had? Share amongst yourself. What's the worst job you've ever had? Take a, a minute right where you are and, and share that. In those moments, right, when, when a job gets difficult or hard, all right, in those moments when maybe... You're in customer service, and you have a customer just screaming at you. They're just screaming at you for something that you didn't do, but that's just your job to receive the screaming. Right? In, in that moment, it is so difficult, isn't it, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and to keep your conduct honorable? It's hard, isn't it? 
right? It's difficult. Or if maybe um, you believe you're the one that deserved the promotion and coworker A got the promotion over you and you know you work harder than them. In that moment, it's difficult, isn't it, to just keep your conduct honorable and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? Right? Or whatever it might be when or, or you're sucking waste from Scotty's porta potties. You tell that would be difficult to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus in that moment. And to keep my conduct honorable in that moment. It would be super difficult. And what's amazing is, is, is God understands this. And he understands it. And First Peter's written in the context of Christians who are suffering because they're followers of Jesus. That's the context to, whom, to, to the situation that Peter's writing, writing his letter. It's to Christians who are suffering because they follow Jesus. They're being mistreated. But whether you're being mistreated because you follow Jesus or just being mistreated unfairly for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of application here for, for all circumstances. When you are suffering, when you are mistreated and so God understands this, and so he has, has Peter write this letter to some Christians who are struggling to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. They're struggling to keep their conduct honorable among unbelievers because they're being mistreated. And I think all of us could relate to this in some way. But why? Why is he instructing them about this? Well, if you look at verse 11 and 12, he says, well, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why? Because how you act as a follower of Jesus when you're being mistreated has the opportunity to point people to Jesus. Has an opportunity to show something that the Spirit of God does in you that he doesn't do in those who don't have the Spirit, unbelievers. And so then Peter's going to unpack this and say, okay, Peter, so, all right, so how do we keep proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus? How do I keep my conduct honorable when I'm being mistreated? And then he gives us some examples here at the end of chapter 2 and through chapter 3. He's going to give us some tangible ways that you and I can continue to proclaim Jesus and keep our conduct honorable even when we're mistreated. And the first thing he, example, he says is, you do this by treating government authority with respect. There's a hot button for you. Help us. Are you serious, man? It's Father's Day. Give us something nice. Good, good father, right? Which he is, right? The hot button. Look at what he says, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. <laughs> are you kidding me? And do you realize what's going on with these Christians right now that he's writing to? They are suffering at the hands of the government. They're suffering at the hands of the emperor. 
They're being persecuted because the government has said, you follow Jesus. And Peter writes this and he says, subject yourselves. Submit is the word, which means to place yourself under the authority. (laughs) How relevant is that? Why? Be subject for the Lord's sake, he says. For the Lord's sake. And notice he doesn't say, only do this if you like the governor's personality. Only do this if you agree with the president's policies. He just says, no, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why? Go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Let's unpack this a little bit. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Christians living living in Rome in the first century. And he says this, Romans chapter 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, verse 5, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue, revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. So Peter says, you need to place yourself under the authority of the, of the government leadership at the time. And you need to do that. Why? Because God uses government as a tool in his hands to punish evil and bring justice. But God also uses government as a tool to accomplish his plan of redemption. How do we know this? John chapter 19, verse 11. The crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus has just been beaten. His his back is a bloody mess. A bloody mess. And there's a crown of thorns coming down or being thrust down on his head. Blood is coming down his face. And listen to what he has to say to to, to Pilate. He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Did you catch that? You would have no authority at all, Pilate, unless that authority had been given to you from God above. Jesus is being mistreated, beaten, suffering at the hands of the government. And Jesus says this, you don't have that authority apart from God. Here's an innocent man being sentenced to death, injustice. And God says, Jesus says, this authority, he recognizes that the very government authority that was mistreating him was an authority given by his father. 
the father was using the government authority at the time to accomplish the plan of redemption. Because Jesus would die on a Roman cross. So not only does God use government as a means of suppressing the outworking of your sinful desires and our sinful desires, but he also uses government, good and bad, however we might define that, to accomplish his plan of redemption. So that leaves the question, so then do we always obey government authority? Do, we, do you always? Scripture seems to teach that no, you don't always There is a higher authority that we as the church, as followers of Jesus, follow. You do not obey government authority when that authority is ordering you to do something that is sinful or in contradiction to God and his word. We know this. If you go to Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, you don't need to turn there, but Peter and John, apostles, they were preaching about Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus told them, you go and tell people about me everywhere. Well, some local authorities said, you need to stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John say, we can't stop talking about Jesus. Jesus told us to keep talking about Jesus. So we're going to keep talking about Jesus. You can tell us to stop, but we're actually going to disobey that because we obey God rather than man, Peter and John say. Another example, Daniel. How about Daniel? In the Old Testament, Daniel chapters 1 through 6. The Jews had been taken as slaves by this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, king over a country called Babylon. Daniel and three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my dad, when we were kids, called them, shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. All right, so that's how I know these three guys. So Daniel, shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. They're Jews, right? And, and they're taken as slaves to Babylon. And they're forced to work in King Nebuchadnezzar's White House. And so there they are working. But they live such lives of integrity that they actually get promoted in their positions in the White House. Under evil King Nebuchadnezzar, anti-God, anti-God government. But there comes a point when the government, King Nebuchadnezzar, says, hey, I think people should worship me. They build this huge idol of gold, and he orders everyone to bow down and worship him. What do those dudes do? They don't. Why? Commandment number one, ten commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Those Jews knew, these guys knew that. They grew up quoting it. I would say, no, our God says we're not to bow down to any other God. So you can tell us to do that. You can order us to do that, but we're not going to do that. Okay, fine. And we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. The whole time, they still showed respect and honor, even in their disobedience and disagreement. Daniel, later on in his story, the government says, you need to stop praying to your God. Daniel says, I can't. That goes against what my God desires for me. So he keeps praying. What happens? He gets thrown in the lion's den. But what you need to learn about the life of Daniel is that the whole time, even in his disobedience and disagreement, he's still showing honor, still respecting those in authority over him, even when it led to his mistreatment and suffering. 
He didn't complain about it. He said, no, I'm going to follow God. I have a higher authority. And there are moments then when we as the people of God do disobey the governing authorities, when they are calling us to do or say something that is sinful or in disobedience to God and what God has said in his word. But when that happens, we must respond with respect. We must respond with respect. And then Peter goes on, he says, well, well, why do this? He answers, why do this? He says, it's the Lord's will. Verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It protects your integrity. It, when you are showing honor and respect to those in authority of you, it protects your integrity, which ultimately protects the reputation of King Jesus, whom you say you follow. If you got some nasty social media posts out there about the government, about authority, and that comes scrolling through somebody, and they know you're a Christian, that's going to impact. It might be true what you're saying. But this isn't about you. This is about, hey, so that people, when they see your good deeds, they might glorify God on the day he visits them. So you can keep proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. It's God's will for you and I to do this, to respond and treat with respect. It silences accusations that people make against you that are false. They're looking at your life. And it protects your integrity, which protects the reputation of King Jesus. Is this easy to do? No. It's not. But God knows this. That's why he knows the temptation. Think about who he's writing to and how difficult it would have been for them to not complain, to not criticize would have been so difficult. And he says, hey, just keep your conduct honorable. Respect those in authority of you. It's God's will for you. And then he says, 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, your freedom, listen to this. Your freedom and identity are not defined by the rights or restrictions a government places on you. Let me say that again. As a follower of Jesus, your freedom and identity is not defined by the rights or restrictions a government places on you. You are free because Christ has freed you from the greatest evil, your own sin. So you are free regardless of what the government says. Regardless of what any authority might say to you. You are free because Christ has set you free. From the greatest evil that there is, your own heart. That's why Jesus is so good. He's so good. He gives us a freedom that no government authority can ever take away from you. Ever. So he says, live as people who are free because you are. You are. It doesn't mean you don't disagree. It doesn't mean you don't stand up for biblical truth. Yes, we do, of course. But in doing so, you continue to show honor and treat with respect. And you can do that because this is not your home. Stop acting like it. Verse 11, you're a sojourner. You are a temporary resident. You are camping. You are on a camping trip. You are camping here. This is not your home. Your earthly rights, our earthly rights can be taken away. But that's okay because no one can take away the freedom and the promises that you have in Christ. No one. 
So live as people who are free because you are. So he reminds us that one of the ways you keep proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, one of the ways you keep your conduct honorable, even when being mistreated, is that you continue to show respect to those in authority over you. So dad, specifically, let me talk to you for a moment. What's that look like? Let me give you some suggestions. Pay your taxes. Oh, you kidding me? Yes. Pay your taxes. Why? Jesus said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. I am pretty confident that the Roman government at that time took some of the taxes to do some things that you and I and the Christians at that time would have never approved of. Actually, the money was going to kill and persecute Christians. But somehow, Paul writes, says, hey, but pay them on time. Don't owe, any, don't owe back taxes. Pray for your government leaders. Do you? Listen to me, Dad. Do your kids see that you care more about a person's policies than their soul? Bars. <laughs> I don't know why. That, okay. We got to stop making fun of or making jokes about government authority. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Please. We got to stop it. This guy included. And that includes not just government authorities, that includes police, any authority. And dad, you need to model it. And men, we need to model it. Teach your kids God's design for government. Romans chapter 13. Teach them that. Walk through that passage with them when your kids get older. Help them see that God is ultimately in control and using government for good purposes. Even though those in authority use them for bad purposes, God is still in control. And you teach your kids, John 8, 31 and 32, which talks about Jesus says, if you abide in my word, my teachings will set you free because it's my truth and my truth will set you free. This is why you do defend biblical truth. It's why we do stand for biblical truth. It's why we do disagree at times with those in authority because biblical truth is a person's freedom. That's their freedom. Their freedom is wrapped up in Jesus and who he is and what he's taught. And so we defend it, we teach it, but when we do that, we do it in a way that is still showing honor and respect to those who disagree. Just like Daniel. And so, Dad, we need to show, how, how do we do that? What's this look like? What's it look like to disagree? Teach your kids, this is why we disagree, because the Bible says this. But we can disagree in a way that's still honoring a person who's made in the image of God. Watch your social media. Go back of your social media posts the past year. Does it review you as someone who treats authority with respect? We can run and hide from the truth as much as we want, but Peter says, listen, remember who he's talking to, people who are being persecuted by those in government authority over them. And he says, listen, you want to make a difference for the cause of Christ. You want to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. You want to keep your conduct honorable. You show respect to those in authority over you. All right, keep rolling. 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Man, help us. Serious, Peter? For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. 
It's hard for you and me as a 21st century Christian to understand the kind of slavery that was going on at this time in first century Rome. Everyone who had a job in Rome was a slave. Doctors, teachers, Hollywood, right, actors, musicians, they all would have been, had the term of a slave. Some of them made good money. Some of them didn't make good money. Some of them enjoyed their jobs. Some of them didn't enjoy their jobs. And it all was dependent upon your master, your employer, your boss. So for us as 21st century Christians, think of that what Peter says here in the context of your, of your, of your job, your work, your boss, all right? And again, he says the same thing. Be subject, submit, place yourself under the authority of those. Check this out. Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust ones. Man, think of Daniel. His boss, Nebuchadnezzar, isn't a Christian. His boss plays favorites, listens to the wrong voices, falsely accuses Daniel. He mistreats Daniel, yet Daniel never talks badly about his boss. He maintains his integrity, still defends God and his word, even when it brought him suffering and mistreatment at work. So you, you say, man, you don't know my boss, Jones. You don't know him. You don't know my boss. You don't know her personality. You don't know. He looked over me for the promotion when I was way better than this person over here. You don't know that. You're right. I don't. But Peter doesn't seem to give an out clause here based on your boss's personality or if you like them, or if they like you. He just says, treat them with respect. So let me unpack that a little bit. So dad, we'll start, start with you, but I think these apply to all of us. What's treating your boss employer look like with respect? Don't talk badly about him. Don't talk to your family in a negative way about your work. Listen, work is not evil. God worked for six days. He rested on the seventh. He gave Adam a job to do before sin came into the world. Work is not evil. The why, why work is hard is because of sin, your sin. So the next time you're not liking work or work gets hard, let it remind you of your sin. And you go, oh, man, I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming my sin. Thank you for redeeming my work. I love work now. I, I know. That's not the, okay. But see, work is a good thing. Tainted because of our sin. So don't talk badly about work. Show up to work on time. You want to show respect to your employer? Show up on time. Don't be late. When you get there, be prepared. Don't make excuses. Whatever your job is, whether it's sucking waste from Scotty's porta potties, you do it with excellence. You go whistling into that little restroom. I'm not saying I. I'm preaching to me, okay? Don't make threats to your boss or coworkers. Be honest. Don't cheat on your time card. Don't tell lies to your coworkers. Have your kids ever heard you thank God for your work? For, for your job? Pray for your boss in front of your kids, Dad. So pre show appreciation for them. And listen, regardless of how you're treated, if you get looked over for the promotion or not, still give a full day's work. Still give a full day's work. Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, listen, because you are working not for men, but you're working for the Lord. So Peter reminds us another way that we proclaim Christ when being mistreated is that we treat our boss, our employer, our work with respect. So how do you do this, Dad? 
<laughs> How do you do this? Peter answers that, latter part of the chapter, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to join who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's Peter saying? He's saying, listen, when this happens, because it's going to happen, whether it's the government authority that mistreats you or your boss or work mistreats you, just remember Jesus. You keep looking to Jesus and you keep following his example. Well, what did he do? He didn't sin. He didn't tell lies. Notice he was fine. He didn't say something nasty back in the little work chat or a little private text to your coworkers. Oh, I hate my boss. So, no, he didn't retaliate. He was like, man, he didn't make threats. Well, if you do that to me, man, then I'm going to take your lunch. Take. No, there weren't any threats. Or no, he just kept his mouth shut. Why? Because he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He left justice for his mistreatment in God's hands. Jesus was good with that. Question is, are you? Am I? And then he goes on and quotes Isaiah 53, 5, which says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, shalom, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What's Peter doing here? He's reminding you and me that we were the ones who caused mistreatment. To Jesus himself. He says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He's reminding us that we caused Jesus' sufferings. And it was your sins that caused Jesus' death. Yet it was through that unjust treatment that your soul became healed forever. And I think what Peter's trying to remind him is this. Jesus' unjust treatment led to the salvation of your soul. So like Jesus, whose example you follow... You have the opportunity through your suffering and mistreatment to point people to Jesus who can heal their soul. So what's that look like, Dad? Do you know Jesus? Are you following his example? Do you spend time learning about him in the gospel? What's that look like? And so, Dad, whoever, all of us, if you know Jesus, you can find rest today in knowing that it may not be well with you at work. It may not be well with us in the country, but if you follow Jesus, you can know that it is well with your soul because of what Jesus suffered for you. Why? Because, Dad, how you act as a follower of Jesus when you're mistreated, whether that be by government, work, or any authority, has the potential to draw people to Jesus. So the next time you're mistreated or suffering for the cause of Christ and you're tempted to disrespect those above you, remember Jesus. Because the mistreatment he endured because of your sin brought about your soul's healing. 
And so the mistreatment you endure because of someone else's sin, God can use to bring healing to their soul. And ask the band to come. And as they come, I just want to read verses 24 and 25. Because we need to get looking at Jesus in, in these times. Specifically these times that these first century Christians were enduring. He gets us looking at Jesus and he says, Jesus bore your sins in his body on the tree that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, your soul has been healed. You've been healed of your sin and its control. You've been healed of the iniquity. He has brought you peace for your soul. For you were straying like a sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Dads, let me speak to you. What's the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you about your response to authority, whether it be government or work, or any authority for that matter? What's he saying to you about your walk with Jesus? Take a moment right now and just ask him. Ask the Spirit to show you. And that's for all of us here. Ask the Spirit to show you. I want to invite, as we start singing, I want to invite dads to do something brave this morning. The Spirit leads you to do this. So just come and pray. Come to the front and pray. Kneel at one of the chairs. You can pray for your family. You can pray for your work. Pray for your boss. Pray for yourself. Pray for your dad. You can come and just say prayer of thanksgiving to Jesus for his grace in your life and rescuing you from your sin. If the Spirit prompts you to come and pray, I want to encourage you to do that. Jesus bore your sins in his body on that tree so that you could die to sin and live to righteousness. So by his wounds, you, your soul, is healed.